Good morning, Zuhörers. Welcome to a special English edition of Vibertech. I'm your host, Sosia Fox, or in the English world, I go by Sandy. And Vibertech is, as you all probably know, a feminist podcast in Yiddish. But early on in the show's life, I decided to make an English episode about once a year, sort of as a gift to my friends and family members and, and just people who support me and the show but don't speak Yiddish, or at least not yet. So today's episode is a lot like what an episode of Vibertech usually is, but it's just usually in Yiddish. Today's episode, more specifically, is a conversation with Sterna Goldblum. Sterna Goldblum is a photographer an awesome photographer, who's finishing up her MFA this year at the Rhode Island School of Design. She also grew up Hasidic in the Lubavitch community in Chicago, and her work has addressed a lot of themes related to her upbringing, but also to queerness, to otherness, to gender, and so much more. And here's the deal. It's not just an English episode, but it's also sort of an interactive episode in a format that we've never really tried before. And what I want you to do is to imagine that Sterna's website, which is sternagoldblum.com, and you can find the link uh, in the description of this episode and on our website. Her website's the museum, and our conversation is an audio tour. In the beginning of the conversation, we chat about her background, her childhood growing up Lubavitch, her years in college, and her entrance into the photography world. But once we get into the nitty-gritty about her four projects, which are called Untraditional, Tichel Tutorial, Sitra Achra, and the newest one, Fegele, and we talk about some of the photos within each of them, I invite you to take out your phones, tablets, or computers and follow along with us. That way you can form your own opinions and interpretations while also hearing from the artist and hearing about the process itself. Super cool. Aside from that, I just want to mention that Vibertech is currently in a bit of a fundraising campaign. We're trying to expand a couple of the projects we do to make Vibertech more accessible to Yiddish learners. So for example, we have been trying to expand our transcripts, which are Yiddish language transcripts for people who are learning Yiddish but need the text in order to follow along. So you can see those on our website. And what we'd like to do is also down the line be able to hire people to translate our episodes so that you, the English-speaking listener, can also check out our episodes with people like Abby Stein and Eve Jocknowitz and Daniel Kahn and Sarah Gordon. But we really need everyone's help to do so because hiring awesome young Yiddishists to do this work requires money as their labor should be properly supported. So you can go to our website, www.vibertych.com slash donate. The link is also in the description of the episode and check it out. Thanks. So let's listen to my conversation with Sterna. But before we do, my listeners know that I usually like to play songs that are kind of in my ethos right now, before and after the interview. And in this awful Brett Kavanaugh moment, I have returned to the riot girl of my youth. This is Hot Topic from La Tigra's self-titled 1999 album, La Tigra.
My name is Sterna Goldblum. I'm living in Providence currently because I'm pursuing my MFA at RISD with photography. So I grew up in the Lubavitch community in Chicago, West Rogers Park. So I went to Cheder, I went to the Lubavitch Girls High School until I dropped out. I guess the uh, role that art played in my life as a child um, was I was just like very naturally inclined to do artistic things rather than like pursuing, I guess, the other academic subjects. So my mother really encouraged that too, which was lovely. Um, and I think the way that I got introduced to photography in particular was that my mother stopped scrapbooking after like a few kids because she has eight children and wow. eventually scrapbooking is not on the top priority. And so I saw, I was like, wait, where, are, where is Ellie and I? Like my twin and I, where are we in the photo books, um, in the family albums? So then I took her camera and she also got me a camera for my birthday. I think I was in fourth grade. And then I started photographing the family. So it really started as like, I wanted to see myself represented in the family books. And it's not, I guess, so different from now. I want to see myself represented in the art world. Did you have art classes in school or did your school not have so much of an art program? I know a lot of my friends who grew up in Orthodox schools didn't have art and had to go to other places in the city or elsewhere to take classes. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I don't, I don't think so. Art was like kind of incorporated in different subjects but um no i don't think we had like an art class but in high school we had like electives so they were kind of wifey skill electives so like cooking which i took um there was sewing which my mother taught and i took that as well and i also helped her so i know how to sew um there were ceramics and then there's also like learning some different languages so even, I mean, those were like more structural, but then on top of that, we had a production that we would put on. So the production was like really my favorite time of the year. That was like when I shined because I wasn't incredible at like, I don't know, I have dyslexia. So like learning Lashana Kodesh, Yiddish, English, all at once, written, translating, everything all at once was like a lot for me. So for me, it was like, okay, I'm not amazing at like my Chumash class, but I'll be really good at this production. And I also would dance a lot. So I would do like gymnastic dances. I would create the costumes. I would do like the backdrops. So that was like my favorite part. So when did you kind of transition from art being something you liked in school or something that you, you did in your family to something that you that you thought to do more professionally? Well, I knew I wanted to go to college. Uh, even before I realized I was queer, I thought that, or I, like I somehow knew probably because of my mother that if I got an education through college, I would be better able to support myself. Um, and I really had this like strong thing that I didn't want to rely on a man for money. Um, cause I saw how that didn't work out so well in my family. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to go to college for like that reason. Did most girls in your school go to college or not go to college? Oh, well, you dropped out anyway, right? I did drop school. out of, yeah, but I, that was, I think in 10th or 11th grade, but, um, like what was the typical trajectory just for oh, people, people didn't go to college. Yeah. Actually, they sat me down and told me that I shouldn't go to college. 
like we had a very official meeting with the principal and my parents um yeah they were very concerned about the terrible things you could learn in college yeah and honestly all of their fears came true so like (laughs) there was real like for for them like from their perspective like yes college did exactly what they were afraid it would do which was like introduced me to the art world and to sexuality and to, I don't know, different kinds of people. But I'm assuming they discouraged it with with everyone, right? It wasn't just students that they looked at and said, this person might get exposed in particular. Well, I think there wasn't like a, a general like, oh, you shouldn't go to college. It was more so like they knew I was considering it. Okay. But... In general, people already had a different trajectory. It wasn't like on your mind to go to college. You right. would go to seminary and then get married. It wasn't yeah. really an option, I guess. Right. Although so, I hear, I think that is changing a little bit. Yeah, I get that sense. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure what, what's normal in Crown Heights over here. I'm pointing. Cause I, I was, I know. <laughs> in New York, I always point, you know? You're like, oh, okay. Like when I'm in the village and I'm at like NYU, I'm like, oh, I went to the new school and I point north. <laughs> it's just unnecessary to use my hands to describe it. Oh, whatever. <laughs> so you were saying that. It's still a conversation. You, so you ended, up at, you ended up at college. Yes. So I ended up there. And where did you go again? I went to Columbia College oh, in Chicago. In Chicago. I'm familiar. Oh, you are? How? Yeah. Well, my friend Schiffer Whiteman, who's definitely listening, went there for her <laughs> master's. And also, the first boy I ever kissed went there. Oh, Until wow. he transferred to my college and then wow. tried to kiss me again. And I was like, <laughs> this isn't happening. You're like, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> we kissed when I was 13. <laughs> I don't need to take this trip down memory lane. But that was how I heard of Columbia College at first, because he went there. Okay, so you went to Columbia College, and what did you study when you first got there? Um, well, I thought I would go into fashion photography, since I love fashion. Um, but yeah, I took... you have quite the awesome get-up on, I should tell people. <laughs> it's pretty chill. It's pretty chill, but the shirt is amazing, your, oh, and your, you. your earrings are great, your hair is great. I'm not this surprised. doesn't translate. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone who thinks journage is kind of vogued or something. not vogue, that's not voguing, but just but. okay. So you we went into fashion photography. Was that partly because you thought this will make me money? It's more practical. No, I actually didn't have money so much in mind because I, I guess I didn't really understand finances at that point. I took a fashion class, and when I got there, I realized that like everybody was just trying to talk about what we were wearing in class, which was not at all what I was interested in. So then I was like, okay, I'm not interested in fashion as much. Like, I would love to do it, but maybe I could go through a fine art, like, venue and then go to fashion. But then I just got really obsessed with fine art photography, and I loved how personal it could be. Um, And I haven't given up on, like, my fashion dreams, but it just, it costs so much money to have, like, a really nice art director and like team and everything so yeah it's a different world for sure maybe if you could talk about some of your earlier projects and then I want to talk about Sitra Ahra which is your newest project right and it's in progress um Sitra Ahra is for the moment kind of closed okay as I'm in grad school and I'm working on a new project that isn't on my website so we can talk about that maybe yeah if you want I would love to but Let's talk about the trajectory. I see some themes when I look at your website. And again, to all my listeners who want to look along, 
you can go to Sterner's website. It's linked in iTunes and also on our website so that you can look at the photos at the same time. But I see some themes, you know, um, it looks like one of your projects, Untraditional, looked at um, connecting to your past as an Orthodox Jew. And now you have, or you did have Sitra Akhra, which has to do with otherness. So maybe you can explain the trajectory between these two, like these different projects that seem to have a lot of linkages. Sure. Yeah. Untraditional was a project that was like my breakthrough project where I was like, I feel like I'm talking about things that are really like relevant to me. And previously I had only done projects that were like abstract or like body as a diary, very projects that I felt good about, but that didn't feel like really spoke about my perspective in the world. And during that time, I met with Riva Lehrer, an artist who I love and adore. And she was like, why aren't you making work about the Hasidic community? And I was like, oh, it's too scary. Like it really stressed me out um, because I wasn't really out in college about it. And I felt like people would see me as weird, which they did anyways. Because, <laughs> like, moving from an Orthodox or from my community to the uh, college secular world was, like, definitely a leap. And I had, like, I had been socialized very differently. Right. Um, so, I what guess... Do you, what do you mean? What, what was the biggest kind of transition or what did people... What do you feel people noticed about you? Um, I mean, for one, I didn't know some, like, really basic things, like how to put together a PowerPoint, um, which, like, I don't blame the Hasidic world for. But let's say they'd put up a slide of David Bowie, and I would raise my hand and be like, who is that? Right. Um, or, I, you know what? I don't actually know what they saw as weird. I just got feedback <laughs> that I was weird. Right. Yeah. Um, which was also something I was okay with, but I didn't want them to know why. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you told very few people or almost no one about your background? Did, yeah, I yeah. just didn't tell anyone. Wow. Um, I think I had this like mission that was probably based off of pride that I would be really good at college no matter what. So that like played into it. So Reva tells you to do this project. Or tells right. you, guides she, you towards a project that's more personal. It was actually like, I think a year or so after she said that, when I was like, you know what, I think I'm ready to come to terms with this. I'm going to tell people. Um, and then I started making work about it too. So Yura and I, we both were leaving our community kind of simultaneously. Wait, who's, who's Yura? Yura is my little brother. Your little brother. And he also like is very gender non-conforming in the way that he like lives in the world um and so i asked him if he would be a part of this project with me um and simultaneously i had just learned about gender um and i was really fascinated about all the things that were like in between the binary so or even just like being critical of it mm -hmm. um which now i guess is like a boring story but <laughs> back then i was like whoa that was you what year <laughs> yeah. was that Probably around, like, 2012. Yeah. Okay. I had grown up with such strict gender rules, so for so it was very freeing to understand this idea. So, like, it might have had even more of a, like, wow factor. Mm -hmm. um, although I guess everybody kind of is raised with strict gender ideas. Anyways, Yida said yes, which was awesome, and he really helped me with this project 
I was living at home at the time, so I would just like see the light coming in the window in a way that I was like, oh my god, this is beautiful, Yuna, come on, and like dragged him out of bed, you know, Um, so it was a lot of him just like on the go right when I was feeling excited about it, and that was really fun. So what are sort of the themes of that, that early project? That project was looking at like domesticity with gender with Jewish life. Who takes out the garbage? Who builds the sukkah? Who makes the challah? Those kinds of ideas. So it was like a little bit more basic than the ideas that I want to think about now, but it was the groundwork for later projects. Right, because I definitely see domesticity as a theme. I was struck by, um, in Untraditional, a photograph that I'll just describe. It says that the title is Gaze, uh, G-A-Z-E, Gaze. Um, <laughs> and it's two people in sort of red robes. I wanted to ask you about that. What were the robes or the sort of dress? What is that there for? What does it symbolize or what's its meaning? Well, I like that you picked that up about the red robes because like, I really am very intentional about the clothing I choose for yeah. my photos. Um, and so in all of the photos for untraditional, they're stitched together through Photoshop. And so we wear the same clothes, almost every single photo. So we're both wearing the same robe and we look, I think, visually pretty similar too. Yeah. Um, so I always think of red as being like this amazing color. It's my favorite color. Um, and I also think about the history of red as being like worshiping idols um, and like prohibited in the way I was raised. That's what I was told about red or that it's flashy, that it's like, you know, you shouldn't just wear red because then people will look at you and like that inherently is like a bad dynamic. And I just love red. I guess that really goes with the idea that I really want to be seen and that I am fine with being seen. But also it's such a vibrant color. So I think it looks good in photographs um, and I try to include it a lot. I also wanted to bring up the photograph called Busy Work. Can you tell me about that one? I just, I was really struck by, you know, what does busy work mean? And, you know, one person's reading, the other person is, I guess, knitting or crocheting. Yeah. um, So that photograph was taken in my mother's office and she is a writer. Um, So... Part of that was also me thinking about the ways in which books were censored growing up. Um, And I know that doesn't really connect with the title, but I was thinking about the way that gender was um, kind of like the men should be learning. Like this was the idea that men should learn and women should do housework. And so I was like, well, women have brains and were incredible at thinking critically too um and so I guess that one was kind of being like well we can all do both so the the next project you did was Tichel Tutorial yes it's kind of a tongue twister yeah Tichel Tutorial (laughs) Tichel Tutorial what was the idea behind Tichel Tutorial the series of photos which again will be linked on the on iTunes and everything so Tichel Tutorial was me realizing that the work that I was starting to make I start I made Tichel Tutorial in like 2015 I had just graduated um, and I realized that a lot of my project a lot of my like photographs were starting to be demonstrative in some way um, like tutorials for how you could live or what you could do in like a more abstract way mm-hmm. but 
I did Tickle Tutorial because I started moving towards this idea that it doesn't all have to be negative when looking at, to history. So I started thinking about my past in a more nuanced way. Feminism can definitely apply in the community and women can be strong in the community. Very like simple and obvious ideas now. Yeah. Um, that there isn't just like one way to be a feminist woman. So this tutorial brings you through um, how to put on a tichel. Can you describe what a tichel is for anyone who doesn't know? So a tichel is a headscarf that you wear, and not all Orthodox communities wear them, but I grew up with women wearing tichels covering their hair if they were married. Um, And it's just like a scarf. It can be really beautiful or plain, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, It tends to be more casual, like you normally would go out with your shaitel, which is a wig and has hair. Um, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, Techel's just like a scarf around the house usually. Right. What I wanted actually for my work was that suddenly I wanted it also to include positivity about from women, not just the negative. So, like, I worked through my own bullshit. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, you know, there's also like all these wonderful things about being a from woman. So, I wanted to start including those, like, two different dynamics, and Tickle Tutorial was the first time I tried doing that. Cool. What did, when you started to embrace what was wonderful about being a from woman, what came to mind? Um, and did it take time to be away from it to come back and see it with a different, with that different kind of perspective? Yeah, definitely. It, I think I was a little bit angry when I left the community for a while, um, my mother had come out and my parents had gotten a divorce which both things were very unheard of um, in the community and so I felt pretty bitter towards the community for the way that they had ostracized us and I think it took a long or not even that long but like it took a few years for me to work through those feelings because I like grew up with a lot of positive feelings about the way I was raised so so when you came back and saw what what did you see in in from in being a from woman that struck you as a good characteristic of that lifestyle? Um I think that I mean there's like a multiple there's multiple things obviously yeah. but things that are coming to mind right now are like Jewish women are so strong. The women that raised me were having so many children. They're like such balabustas, creating events for like the community, for the family. The support system was incredible. The way people cared about each other. If someone had died or someone had a baby, you would have meals for days. Yeah. Your children would be taken care of. I don't know. People really helped each other out in a way that I found was very dissimilar to like the communities that I was encountering in the secular world. So this was this project reflected that transition, I guess. Yeah. And also, yeah, I guess I would just wanted to show Hasidic women in a powerful way, but in a way that still was um, accurate to them. So I think a lot of Hasidic women wouldn't be down to have like a frontal portrait. And so I end on like someone with a techel wrapped around their head, um, but also with hands in kind of a power position. I'm trying to show that duality of like power and how you could have power even if you are invisible. Yeah, and that's definitely the feeling you get from looking at the photographs. 
I guess that brought up for me something I was thinking about, which is that, you know, in the, I guess the secular world, both the Jewish and the, and the not Jewish world, there's a lot of, I guess, gazing at Hasidim with interest and also with often disdain and at, 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 and at many communities that are other, you know, Mormons, any, just a lot of them. But I see this a lot with Hasidim and um, I'm always really struck by horrible things people will say about Hasidim and not, it doesn't strike them as at all problematic. Like, what, would you say that about another community? You know, this is, I'm talking about Jews right now who will say, yeah. you know, what are really just anti-Semitic tropes about Hasidim? And I say, you know, but would you say that about, you know, people of color or some other, like, not, you know, not an, not an ethnic minority, but just a small group of, you know, religious people from a different community. So I was thinking about how different looking at your work is because you come from the inside. So I thought maybe you could reflect on, I don't know, both. Do you see this gaze thing happening with Hasidim? Have you experienced that gaze? (laughs) And what do you make of it? And how do you try to, I guess, do you think about that in your work? Or is it naturally different because you did grow up religious? Um, Well, I think that it's really helpful for me to be able to make work um, about the community because I've been within the community and photography has so much uh, like ethics about who's looking at who and that power dynamic so I feel like I try to take that power dynamic away as much as possible by photographing myself and not claiming to tell anyone else's story Um, but my new project is moving into like photographing uh, LGBTQIA uh, Orthodox and ex-Orthodox Jews. So now I'm getting into more of those questions and those are your, uh, coming up more and more and I need to think about them. Yeah. But I think that ultimately um, having been raised in the community, it really does give me a different perspective. And that gaze that you're talking about is so, so real. <laughs> it's so real. Yeah. Uh, given that I'm now in academic institutions, uh, no one that I go to school with has an inside understanding of the Hasidic community. And so for me, it's like a lot of responsibility for like, how do I represent them? How do I talk about them um, in a way that is respectful while still um, critical of some of the issues that are ongoing within the community. So let's move on to talking about Sitra Ahra, which is your, I guess, your last project, not the one you're working on right now. So why don't you tell people, and I want to read the artist statement, people can read the artist statement, but <laughs> on one foot, what was the idea behind Sitra Ahra? What does it mean? So Sitra Ahra was me taking self-portraits of myself um, as surrogates for other women that I have seen throughout, like, or read about or... Um, heard about in Jewish art history or even just in Jewish history Um, people who I admired but I had to like dig really deep to find their stories so that's like one aim of it and another aim of it is also to give a more like queer perspective um, on Jewish women what is acceptable what isn't what do Jewish women 
need to do? What do they not? What? Yeah. <laughs> I guess like just a lot of questions around identity of being Jewish and queer. So in in that vein, you know, who are the people? Not not who in terms of what their names are, but what what sorts of people did you did you find for Sitra Achra, and what were some of the ways in which you wanted to portray them? Yeah. Okay. So. I chose uh, characters who I found out about who didn't fit the norm or didn't fit the status quo and actively pursued something different than the one than the like world around them asked of them. Um, yeah, I just wanted women who kind of were the wild ones, um, and I wanted to portray them in a way that was really respected and like glorified. So I chose really nice spaces and really nice clothing, even though that might not have actually uh, reflected what their given finances were at the time. Um, But aside from that, a lot of the project also talks about my own uh, conflicts or like inner conflicts between my background and my current life and like how do I mix and match in a way that feels the best to me. Um, Both ideologically, physically, you know, like what I, what my hopes are, just how I'll run my life, all of it. And and I think in your conversation with Diana Clark um, at Ingeveb, you talked a little bit about domesticity in your photographs. So is part of that sort of figuring out how to bridge um, your life growing up with the life that you might want to have as a, you know, as you grow older with a partner in a home, if those are things you want? Yeah, they definitely are. Um, And I think for a long time I was really ashamed of it uh, because moving to the, like finding my community within the queer community, which has been like so warm and the, like my second community (laughs) that like I really feel welcome and at home in. Um, I also had like my own critical ideas about like, how people thought about families like a lot of the people who I was friends with weren't planning on having children and had like kind of negative ideas about children Um, and always I've had this idea that I wanted children and that hasn't changed so I was like how do I what do I even look like as a queer like mother what I didn't see that many examples around me of like what a queer family looks like or what the possibilities were for having children. Um, and that also has changed with time. Right. So the first one that really made an impact on me, um, I don't, I guess it doesn't, these don't have names, right? So they don't have names, um, right? but. Oh yeah. I'm not sure if the names are included there, but I guess I could describe it as a woman laying against a stone with uh, male hands cutting hair and she's all in black um against like a graded green background (laughs) is that enough yeah that's a great Uh, that's a great description she's wearing this really beautiful fanciful black dress oh my goodness so actually what was really helpful in my self-portrait work was that my mother has an entire basement full of costumes because she's a seamstress and has created all these costumes for perm throughout the years and she also collects vintage clothing. So it's such a striking dress. It's, really. it's interesting because, you know, black doesn't usually pop, but somehow this dress is just, it caught my eye so intensely. So t- can you talk about this photo and, and what the setup is here and what, 
I don't know what you were trying to portray. Yeah. Um, so I think that this photo kind of talks a little bit more about the violence in which men in the community, or not in the community, in like Jewish text really have created all the laws that uh, dictate how women's bodies should move, I guess, and be throughout the world. Um, and I feel very critical of that, like, those male decisions, I guess. Um, and so this one is more of a negative take um, than my yeah. other work. But um, there's, like, a, a man who is cutting the hair, which kind of references how, like, when you get married, you cut your hair and it's only for your husband from that time on, um, or that idea. And I, the man is really not in the photo because I didn't really want him to be the focus, but there's like a black rim. So I'm hoping that references a black hat and there's a nose, which mm. like is classically a very Jewish, wow. uh, large notice. nose. I didn't even <laughs> notice those things because I'm so focused on her, but that's also really amazing symbolism. Yeah, and the photo is called the Shechting, which um, refers to slaughtering laws. And I'm trying to bring together the ways that rabbis have made rules about cutting animals or like killing animals um, for their benefit and um, the way they've made rules for women, ideally for their benefit, but how that actually um, backfires. And also, actually, I recently found out that a lot of kosher shechting um, laws now are actually like, although they might be according to kosher laws, um, there's new ways of killing animals that are actually faster and more painless. Hmm. So it just is interesting when Torah doesn't move with the times. I think maybe we could talk about this one if you want to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. This one is in a canopy princess bed, um, for lack of a better way of saying that. Um, and there's like a lot of white sheets with the sun coming through and there's two people in the bed. Um, and I guess this kind of ruins some of the like beauty of it, but I'm actually kissing a shaitel, a wig. <laughs> wow. Um, but it is describing kind of one of the more intimate moments um, of a queer couple or of two women together in bed. Um, and I'm trying to, like, I'm controlling, I guess, the gaze within this one where the sheets are, like, open just enough to see me, but, like, I am kind of allowing for it. Mm-hmm. Um and it's more of a tender moment. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that that it's a wig, but I guess it's kind of a fun fact. It is a fun fact. Yeah. I'm glad you. I'm glad you guys heard it first. Vibrant heard tell. it first. Okay, well, I guess to end, just you know, tell if you want to tell us about what you're working on now. I'm sure people would be interested. So you yeah, can keep I would an eye on to. your website and on your, you know, if you have upcoming shows down the line. Oh, so my new project is about photographing other people now. Um, So I'm a little bit done or putting on hold the self-portraits. And I actually, I went to grad school to do this project and I'm really, really excited about it. I've wanted to do it for a really long time. 
Um, and so I'm photographing queer or LGBTQIA. Um, I say that because like not everyone feels comfortable with the word queer. Yeah. Uh, Orthodox and ex-Orthodox Jews. A lot of people in the project so far have been ex-Hasidim. Um, and I'm trying to incorporate also more current Hasidim um, or current ultra-Orthodox Jews. I want to show the unique struggle of somebody who is queer and either grew up Orthodox or is Orthodox. Because there's a lot of things that they go through that I think are very important to talk about um, and aren't currently represented in the art world. And I also think that people will find, or I'm hoping that people will find comfort in seeing a wide variety of different kinds of people, and that that alone will allow them to see that there could be nuance in their perspectives of who they can be. Well, great. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much for for having me on Vibratage. I'm so excited about it. Um, I love this podcast, and I love the topics you bring up and um i'm so honored oh thank you it's very meaningful for me to hear that thank you so much Jerna goldblum for the conversation as i said in the beginning you can go to our website to check out Sterner's website to check out actually something i didn't say earlier an interview between diana clark of ingeweb and Sterna that inspired me to talk to Sterna. so thank you diana and thanks to ingeweb so you can check out that link on our website and in the itunes description and you can also donate on our website and there's also a link uh, on the description of the episode as well thanks to everyone for supporting the show and for supporting me It's also my 30th birthday this week, so if you weren't sure about donating, but now you're like, oh, I don't know what to get Sandy for her birthday. Maybe I should get her, uh, I don't know, a sock. Don't get me a sock. Just donate to Vibratite. That'd be really good. Okay. Our theme song, as always, is Blue Jeans by Ladytron, and the song we're listening to right now is called Let's Run, also by Latigra. Thanks, everyone, and have a great week. Or year. 